0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Copper and Kings, pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. For more information, visit copperandkings.com.
0: Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy
1: Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, January 27th. This is the 93rd episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the managing partner at a new hospitality startup, and I will introduce him in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I'll start out with my PR tip, Later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to go for it, but what's it? Well, that depends on you and your passion. Pursue what you believe in. If you see a need in the marketplace or have an idea for a startup, take a leap of faith. You can do and accomplish anything you put your mind to you really can. So start things up. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very happy to have my guest here. It is Dana Coteen, managing partner of Restaurant Reason, the new industry standard for restaurant staff training. Previously, Dana worked as the service director at mylino responsible for training its ever-changing staff. So he certainly knows training and staffing. <laughs> so welcome, Dana.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Well, thanks for coming out here. I think what you're doing is very cool, and I, having someone who's who's worked in the in the restaurant industry and even waited tables before, um, I'm very excited to hear more about it. But I want to know before starting this startup, like you were working at Mylino, but how did you get there? Like, what brought McCoy. you to the hospitality industry?
3: Um, I was 16, and uh, my friends and I were frequent. Uh, Hooligans at uh, a Benigan's at uh, in Long Island, and uh, when we started going there when I was fifteen, and when I was sixteen, I was able to work.
2: That's one of my first jobs at Benigan's. Benigan's in Miami. I was a host and a server. Yes. Do
3: you still know the birthday song?
2: Yes. (laughs) We can say, maybe we can sing it later maybe very um, embarrassing yeah
3: it, 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 there's some clapping um yeah happy, so, happy uh, birthday no, on yeah your special day. Yep. yeah oh my god so Crazy. so when i turned 16 and i was able to work i said well this is cool i'm here all the time why don't i get paid to be here and it was sort of uh that that was the launch into the business um and i stuck with it all through college at Benigan's? Um No, not at <laughs> Um I upgraded um, to Fridays after Bennigan's.
2: I upgraded to Chili's.
3: Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many. I, I had my uniform for a long time with the flair. I was I was at Fridays when there was okay. flair and
2: I hats
3: and you could sit with your guests and it was a very interesting time. It was and, a cool place. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and that sort of dining was sort of new for, for that time Um And, uh, yeah, so slowly I worked my way through the industry, finer and finer restaurants all through college. And it was always sort of just what I did for money. Um, it wasn't, uh, I was passionate about the connections with people, but it wasn't like, oh, this is what I'm going to do with my life. That didn't really happen until I was working at Maialino, um, which I had moved back to New York from Baltimore where I'd gone to school at Towson. And that was 2008. Um, and I, I, through some connections, as it often happens in the hospitality industry. Um, I ended up uh, an opening server as an opening server with the My Lino project. Okay. And that was sort of the launch of like my new life in hospitality.
2: Well, that's a big move, because it's joining Union Square Hospitality Group and uh, being a part of a team that well, <laughs> I highly respect. And um, so what was that? What was that like doing an opening?
3: It was incredible. Um, it was my second opening of a restaurant. I had opened a restaurant in Baltimore for a smaller group of, of restaurants that um, it, they didn't have quite the sophistication of uh, organization that USHG has and that the Mylino team had. Um, and it was absolutely incredible. The energy, the, the everybody that was there just really wanted to be there and really wanted to do a great job. And we were... Sort of in not quite the height of the recession, but we're in a recession. Opening a restaurant in a really, you know, expensive neighborhood, and right. uh, the stakes were really high. It was it was uh, it was a really incredible experience. It it taught me a lot about the business and about being a business person, and it was a it was a really big experience for me.
2: I imagine. So, did you work your way up at mylino I mean, what was your you you left when you were service director Mm -hmm. so you started as more of a service and you just kind of Yeah, yeah i
3: i started as a server and um i was working on some other things kind of trying to figure out what i was doing with my life um and uh i there was a management job that had come up and it was offered to me and i turned it down and um because I was like I don't want to be a manager and you know the the pay cut and just the out, it just it didn't I turned it down and when they announced the promotion of the person who had taken it there was this weird (laughs) kind of crazy emotional response that I had and it was sort of like that should have been me Um, and then when the next opportunity came around um, I threw my name in the hat and I became a floor manager and then Through that, I took over the training program. And all through my career, I've always um, been involved in training. I've built training programs. I've been a trainer or I've been trained as a trainee. Um, And so I took over the training program. And uh, when I became the service director, I really took ownership over this. Um, And that's sort of like where the seed of – that's where I discovered the problem Mm -hmm. that I'm trying to solve now with Restaurant Reason. Um, But that's how I – Um, made it through mylino
2: yeah and and you, you made note that about a pay cut going to yes. becoming a manager and I think that's something a lot of people don't realize that no, no servers <laughs> tend to make more money than managers yeah. even though you're getting the title as a manager yeah. so
3: it was in fact um, it, at, at the time I, you know things change and every business is different, but we're not just talking a few thousand dollars. I took, um, probably somewhere between a 15 and $20,000 pay cut to oh, become wow. a floor manager. Um, I didn't realize it yeah. was that no, much. It, it can be that <laughs> yeah, much. It's right. not always that much, but it's, it's a big, um, it's a big decision and it's easier when you're in your early twenties to take that kind of pay cut. But I was in my later twenties, which is one of the reasons why I passed up the first opportunity because I just couldn't, couldn't do it. But right. then I'm, I'm, it's the greatest decision, one of the greatest decisions yeah. I've ever made.
2: And then you got to start up or you were part of the startup of Restaurant Reason or you joined. Yeah. Tell me about how sure. that came about. So
3: um, through my work uh, on the training program at Myelino, it's a, it's a massive operation, 50 or more at depending on what time of year it is, front of house staff um the food you know we've they've three meal periods breakfast lunch dinner they're serving food in between so it's open 365 all day long serving three different four or five different menus with 50 staff that's a lot of information to be coordinating um formatting delivering and then holding people accountable to know it and uh i would spend hours and hours and hours a week on this project. And I said, this is ridiculous. I mean, I have an iPhone and like, I'm using tools that are just not, this is crazy. There has to be, I can't be the only person in the industry that has this problem. Uh, so I went online, I looked at, you know, what solutions were out there, which was a not easy to find solutions. Um, and b the ones that I did find were either not the right fit because they're enterprise solutions, like for Outback or Chili's or Bennegan's right. or you know those yeah. kinds of companies. Or now QSR is such a, a surge in our industry, Chipotle. Um, and it wasn't the right fit for what I was trying to do. I just needed a better way to manage information, get it to my staff, and then engage them in that information with the purpose of increasing sales. Because the more that they know, um, the more they're able to sell and guests have a great experience and come back. And that's the whole point of what we do um and so i couldn't find anything but i did find a friend of mine from college who had started this company called restaurant reason it had a really cool logo um i thought it's all <laughs> about
2: the logo <laughs> it, it makes it,
3: it's really amazing how much a good a good logo can convince you that the brand is, uh, is a good thing yeah. um so it had a cool logo it had this cool name and it had to do with training so i said you know mikey what's up i haven't talked to you in, you know years and years but I see you're doing this thing and I have a problem come in let's talk and so the product that he showed me wasn't it couldn't do what I needed it to do but I said look if you can develop this around my needs as a manager here at my you're gonna be able to market this because if you can solve for my problems at this behemoth of a restaurant like you're gonna be able to f- solve this for other people mm-hmm. that don't have such a big operation and so we started this vendor-client relationship um, he was letting us use it for free and developing, and that was sort of the trade-off. And um, and it was working, and we we're getting it to where it needed to go, and it revolutionized what I was able to do at Myelino. And then um, I took a promotion in Union Square Hospitality Group to be an HR business partner for a different business in the company, um, Union Square Events, um, also a, a massive very complicated business. but So when I left my Alino, I said, here, just, you know, this is my, (laughs) this is my like legacy that I'm leaving for you. Um, And then I stayed in touch, you know, with the, with the program and with Michael. And I said, you know, this is actually really big, you know, this is a good idea. Um, And so a a number of things happened. um, A lot of changes in my life that I was, I was uh, 30 at the time. And, lots of just lots of things changed um, I, I uh, ended a relationship I lost my mother and then I ended up leaving um, my position um, with USHG um, because it just uh, I, I wasn't loving yeah. my work anymore Right. Um, even though you know it was a great great team and an unbelievable you know atmosphere to be in I just wasn't loving what I was doing and I said you know what um, to your PR tip that you offered I said I'm 30 years old. I'm going to invest in this, and I'm going to I'm going to do this. And if I can't do it, then I'll wait tables or I'll be a manager or whatever I'll do. I'll fall back on the you know 14 years of experience that I had at the time. And so that's that's how Restaurant Reason, as we know it today, uh, was born. And now it's I've taken over the company. And
2: so yeah. when when was that?
3: Um, this was oh my um, approximately like, like 2000. Fourteen, the spring okay. of the spring of 2014. Okay, so so it's been two thousand fourteen. So we're pretty young. Yeah, almost.
2: So you, so you, no, I love it. I mean, my my <laughs> tip, my my tips, I, I can't really take credit for them. I get inspired by my guests in the show. So I was thinking of you. I figured, uh-huh. yeah, you go for it. You know, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I thirties, I guess, a good age. That's when I started uh, my Bayer PR company on my own. So. Um,
3: Thirties is a special age.
2: Yeah, it is. Sure. Like you start thinking about your life, I <laughs> yeah, guess, and yeah. what you want to be doing. Yeah. So, so how did you? How did you then go about, um, you know, establishing what the services were and, and mm-hmm. you know, approaching? Did you go back to Myelino and say, "Hey, I know you're using this this program that I basically set up for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing this company now, like." Um, so
3: they were using it track. this whole time. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, they were essentially our first beta tester, um, our first beta company. And, um, the way that we, um, remind, oh. remind me the question I'm sorry, yeah.
2: um, no about, so how did you, so you decided to, to go full force with this startup? Mm. Like, how did you go about it? Like what, what the
3: process of starting i was asking if
2: you went like if you went back to maialino and and worked with them um to to on a you know upgrade the tools they were using or how did you go about you know with the launch of a company did you start approaching other restaurants yeah
3: um so when i first came out of the gate um i said i've got this product maialino's using it i know all these people in the industry Um, And what you read when you read about starting up businesses and entrepreneur, you know, I started reading all this stuff. And the one big thing that you have to recognize is you don't know what you don't know. And I had no idea how to start a business. I knew how to manage a business, um, P&Ls and all of that stuff. But starting a business is very different. And um, I went out there and I sort of made up a price. And, you know, it's like I sort of uh, bootstrapped in this, (laughs) like totally winging it. Um, And very quickly, the market was like, dude, you don't know what you're doing. And so I had to retreat um, into a much more strategic process and a much more thoughtful process. And the, our strategy really is about solving an actual problem. And this is one of the biggest competitive advantages that Restaurant Reason has compared to other, peop- to, to other businesses is that we're not coming in and acting as if restaurants are schools to teach students uh, to take quizzes and that kind of thing. As a manager, you have a job to train your staff your staff has a job to give great experiences and sell stuff in your restaurant and the business needs to make money. And so the entire strategy about what Restaurant Reason does is based on those stakeholders and that process. So we're very tactical and very operationally driven. And so we just thought about all of the different things that you need to do as a manager to be able to successfully run your business. And that's where we started with, you know, what is the, what are the pain points as a manager and then developed all the different answers to those questions, um, communication and training. Um, and so that's that's how, yeah, we went out there and um, eventually I, I went and I hit the pavement. Um, I made these really yeah. terrible flyers that um, one day I'm gonna turn them into like an art piece in my office. Um, and uh, I went out there and I hit the pavement and I got a lot of no's and I learned a lot about what people would and wouldn't pay for and just did it. <laughs>
2: And you just did it. Okay, well, I'm glad you did it. And I want to hear more about the details of the services, but we're going to take a quick break first. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
1: Hey, what's up? This is Jack Insley, the executive producer of Heritage Radio Network, also the host of Full Service Radio, and I want to talk to you about brandy. Uh, I was lucky enough to visit Louisville, and we all know Kentucky is whiskey territory. However, the best thing I had to drink was brandy. I got to visit Copper and King's Distillery, and they make pure copper pot-distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels, matured with rock and roll. That's right sonic aging. They're playing music to the barrels. The stuff is double distilled, non-chill filtered, unadulterated by bois, sugar, or caramel color. And this stuff is feisty, rambunctious, with a long, smooth finish. The stuff isn't made exactly in the style of an international brandy or a cognac. It's more along the lines of an American whiskey. I can really be honest here and tell you I'm not just reading you an ad. I'm giving you a tip. American brandy, you're not seeing it everywhere. Copper and Kings is doing it incredibly well, and they're cool people. The distillery is full of incredible art. Like I said, they're playing rock and roll to the barrels. So again, Copper and Kings, pure copper, pot-distilled American brandy, aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. That's copperandkings.com. Drink it neat, put it in a cocktail, sub it for your brown spirits, experiment, have fun, get funky. This stuff is awesome.
2: Okay, welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Dana Coteen, the managing partner of Restaurant Reason. So last week I had asked my guest. Beth Schiff, the casting director uh, to ask you a question and kind of touched on a bunch of this but her question was in terms of your startup, what prompted you to start your business? What niche did you see to be filled? So you obviously saw some niche Um, I don't know if you want to add any more to it because you
3: Yeah, um, I mean the reality of what we do in the restaurant business and this is sort of (laughs) what, what restaurant reason does is like the, hit, the the man behind the curtain, the unsexy element of, of our operations in, in training. And when we talk about tech or what we do in the restaurant business, nobody likes talking about training. Um, and so the niche was this, that I always say training happens whether you have a program or not. Like your new staff have to learn what you do and your um, existing staff need to learn about the products and all of that. And Nobody was really tackling that in um, a modern, sort of tech-driven, intelligent way. Um, it was sort of just this operational thing that you kind of figured out, um, right? And I'm trying to fix that.
2: <laughs> so what? So the services you provide, and it's an online program. It's you have the core. I was reading about <laughs> on your website. Fancy what, name. Yeah. What is the core? <laughs>
3: the core is a suite of. Um, products that we deliver to our clients that help them manage their communications to their staff and that help them organize their training programs. so they can deliver high quality training in much less time than you would normally be able to do with traditional adapted tools like microsoft office or even just you know verbal dissemination of information or in the case of restaurants that sort of you know hey john follow sally She'll show you what to do, <laughs> um, and so we provide us a, a suite typical. of yeah it's very it's very typical um, and it works for a yeah. lot of places for what they 're trying to do um, and so i 'm not you know I'm yeah not yeah a, but um yeah, so we have uh, a communication tool that's very similar to uh, the bulletin board that you might find in a basement office or a hallway somewhere in, You're a, in a restaurant back memories. yeah yeah where, where you have you know the schedule is posted mm-hmm. and because the staff has to look there for the schedule. They're sort of looking at some of the other things that you might have posted, but we have, uh, we have a digital version of, of that called the newsfeed. Um, and we have uh, a place where you can post uh, your Excel schedule because so many places are still using uh, Excel for posting their schedules, so you can post that. Um, but the main tool are the menu modules and the library. So um, we essentially digitize your um, menu descriptions packet. And we break up the information um, to be able to deliver it at the right time for the right employee. So, for example, when somebody starts at a restaurant, they don't need to know ev- you know they need to know everything, and that's mm-hmm. a really daunting task. So what we've done is we've created a structure that allows the manager to segment that information. So when the employee who's new is is downloading that information into their heads, it's not this you know really intimidating 80 page packet. That isn't necessarily organized in the same way, delivering the same information, you know, over and over again, um, and uh, yeah. So that's the menu modules are really the big the big tool that we offer. Um, we have a manager log and a trainer log, so that trainers can communicate between shifts and really organize a training program.
1: That's cool.
2: So how does it work? If I'm a restaurant and I decide to use your service, mm-hmm. do you? Do I send you my menus and you type them into the computer and then sit down with me and go through the process, or who do you sit down with? Is it is it a service director on the floor? Or I guess it probably depends on each restaurant.
3: It definitely depends on each restaurant. I mean, every operation is really different, um, which is sort of the beauty and the excitement and the challenge of of what I do. It's sort of our it, the, the way that I try to explain what our platform is. Open table, for example, is open table. Their interface is their interface, but each restaurant can customize their floor plan to deliver what they need, or customize their reservation mm-hmm. book so that if you don't want to take reservations at seven thirty online, you don't have to, um, but you could. And so, in that same way. You know, we have these tools and how each restaurant uses them is very different. The things that are important to each restaurant in terms of brand identity or menu information or guest experience changes. And so it is very much um, like a one, you know, one size doesn't fit all um, in that case. So we there's like an exploratory process, right, Um, where it's sort of what are your intentions? What are you trying to do? What are you doing now? What would you like to be able to do? And then we customize a solution around, you know, what they need. Some places don't have any training information because it was so complicated and (laughs) challenging to organize it. And so we can help develop that. Um, Some places have really robust training. Um, For example, one of our clients, Blue Smoke, um, part of the USHG family, they have one of the most sophisticated training programs um, for the style of service and, and considering what tools Um, But they were managing it with binders. So the binders had to be updated. The Word documents had to be updated. If you were pulling, the biggest challenge for me is taking information and managing it over time. So if a a description for, I always use gazpacho because people understand that. Gazpacho would come on and off the menu depending on the season. But if you've been updating your menu incrementally between that time where it was on and off. You have to go into your Word documents and hopefully remember when the last time you had gazpacho was on and then copy it and paste it and then reprint. With our system, you can just search for the word gazpacho in your library.
2: And Do you know how to spell it? No, yeah, just right, kidding. right. Um,
3: spelling, spelling definitely <laughs> matters. Um, and you can just, in three clicks, it's back on your menu, live, online, 24 hours a day. And so if you're onboarding new employees in particular, um, they get access immediately. You really didn't have to spend a lot of time administering that, but every to the point of the question, every restaurant is really different, and we do work very intimately with all of our our clients to deliver the solution that they need, not the solution that we think they need.
2: Yeah, I would think restaurants that change their menu often, which a lot of them do, would would love a tool like that.
3: Yeah, um, our I, we have a whole checklist of yeah. what an ideal client would look like, but operationally, the two biggest pieces are if you have really high turnover and or a a frequently changing menu, Um, the ideal ideal client has both of those because we solve for a lot of the problems with high turnover and and high uh, volume of changes to your menu. Um, But yeah, that's definitely, if if that's you out there, (laughs) we can help.
2: (laughs) So when people, if you do get requests for things that maybe you don't have you know, you're not doing yet. And then you go back to your team and you Mm -hmm. figure out how to do it.
3: Yeah, all the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah. In fact, we just uh, commissioned an entire from the ground up um, scratch code redevelopment of the site to be able, you know, thinking forward even a year, two years, three years um, about some of the components that we'd like to be able to offer and really thinking about, again, we, our approach is operational. So, you know we look at the whole scope of what managers are trying to do in the operation and solve for the stuff that nobody's really thinking about um particularly training it's like this thing that happens and now there's a better way to do it but yeah so we're rebuilding the system from the ground up which we're really excited about um, and we're going to sure. be offering analytics and reporting there's going to be scheduling options we're building our own content library that you're going to be able to, as a, as a client, um, have access to and create links um, with your menu information to vocabulary terms and, you know, all about tequila, for example. Or if there's a reference to dark rum, you'll be able to find a definition within our content library of what dark rum is. So as a manager, you don't have to search the internet or ask your purveyors anymore for information that you want your staff to know. You can just, we, yeah. we just give that to you as part of the
2: That's amazing. Well, we will. Uh, (laughs) As part of the package.
3: Yeah, exactly. Well,
2: how how do you work with restaurants? Is it is it a one time fee? Is it a monthly retainer? Like
3: Um, it depends because we're what we're talking about now is the core. But we do offer consulting services. Um, Again, I have a background in H.R. um, And actually, I, I really like H.R. from a strategic standpoint. Um, and so I, I got um, a certificate from from cornell 's uh, ILR school in advanced uh, in, in strategic HR because organizational development and thinking about talent management all this sort of geeky people management stuff um, that that most restaurants don 't either have a person to think about or it 's not their business their business is taking care of their guests so we offer services around that um, and um, but the the there are two options you could go month to month um or there's a a one-year subscription fee and then there are costs depending on what we need to set up in your initial site setup um there are costs associated with that but
2: yeah okay well it's very cool i think it's it's (laughs) i think you're you are filling a need in the industry so um i'll stay tuned with more changes you have to come but um in the meantime we're gonna take another break and then we're gonna come back and talk some industry news and we're going to do my speed round game first so stay with us this is only in the industry on heritage radio network This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Dana Coteen. And we are talking now about to do our speed round game. We were talking about it before the break. So what it is is I name two or more things, either or situation, and you just pick your preference. Oh, boy. Okay. So here we go. Easy. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail?
3: Um wine.
2: Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates?
3: Small plates.
2: Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Okay. Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
3: Interesting question. Very interesting question. Um, I'm going to go with all-inclusive charge.
2: Okay, interesting answer. (laughs) (laughs) How about Being a staff trainee or trainer?
3: Oh boy. Um, I think trainer.
2: More control. (laughs) It's definitely one element. Um, a few more. What's a bigger hassle? Menu changes or staff changes?
3: Staff changes.
2: Cheese plate or dessert?
3: Ooh, dessert.
2: Manhattan or Brooklyn?
3: I think I'm going to make a lot of people mad, but Manhattan.
2: That's the game. Yeah, I think. I is. think. If, man, Brooklyn will will deal Manhattan, with it. Yeah. Okay.
3: I have a lot of love for BK, but uh, yeah, Manhattan for sure.
2: <laughs> great. You did. You were. You were speedy.
3: It that is literally that is the name of the game. That is the <laughs> the hope
2: that you will be, and you were right. so good. Now we have talked about. We have some time to talk about industry news. So great. Um, one article caught my eye was in New York Magazine's Grub Street online. Titled Why One of New York's Most Successful Restaurateurs is Rethinking His Empire by Sierra, Sierra Tischgart, And she's talking about Gabe Stolman of Happy Cooking Empire. And I really, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a great read. I mm-hmm. thought um, he's just such a great uh, restaurateur and, and, and tells it like it is. He's so honest. He really it's is. Like my favorite thing. Yeah. yeah. Honest, truthful, and smart. And we. I saw you uh, what a week and a half ago at Journey, mm-hmm. where Gabe was on this panel talking about the tipping, mm-hmm. which continues to be a hot topic. So, um, I mean, what what was your takeaway from this this piece, or from Gabe in general?
3: Yeah. It's um, it's a very um, interesting topic, <laughs> depending on who uh, with whom you're speaking about it. Uh, within the industry, we're all looking at it from a very sort of operational. Um, Practical sort of perspective um, in terms of operators. And then you have staff who, they don't necessarily, you know, I I mean, and I know this because I've been a server and then I've been an operator, and there's a lot you just don't know about the way that the business runs. And so it's a very sort of personal and emotional experience and, like, you're messing with my money, and that's scary. Um, And then there's the public who knows even less about, what happens in a restaurant and, um, you know, people have their opinions and it's, it's a very volatile, uh, topic, but I think that, um, this is, if it works for your operation and for what you're trying to do, um, in terms of the delivery of, of what your brand is all about to your guests and it fits your philosophy for your staff, then you should do it. Um, but I think that, um, it, doesn't necessarily work for every operation, and it's a lot. There's a lot of layers to this topic.
2: There are, and and in this piece, he was. I mean, he was talking about a lot of changes he has going on with his restaurant group, mm-hmm. and he has uh, what, five or six restaurants mm-hmm. now. But how Montmart he decided to close, uh, Perla he's relocating to a nice corner space in the West mm-hmm. Village, and then Fedora uh, he's decided to eliminate tipping as his first restaurant to do that. And at the talk, it was so interesting hearing him um, talk about the value and the perception yeah. people have of of paying more for a burger, even though in hindsight you will be paying less for it with the all inclusive tipping. But um, what people, you know, their perception yeah. and and he and this and people should go read this article because he he touches on this, and I think it's really it's fascinating um, to hear from a restaurant restauranteur's point of view of, you know, what it's like, and then it's educating the public and seeing how they're going to react.
3: That's one of the biggest challenges I think that our industry has. Um, And it's really cool that USHG kind of dove in and is taking charge of this Mm -hmm. because, you know, in sort of in a, I mean, this is a political issue in a lot of ways, um, because it's, it's driven by so much regulation Mm -hmm. that burdens our, our business. And I don't, Mean to get into the whole, uh, you know, you know, anarchist uh, idea of no regulation or, or regulation. But um, there's a lot. There are a lot of regulatory bodies and a lot of regulatory rules that um, that guide how much money is available to be distributed throughout the people that are involved in our industry. And it's very difficult in New York City now to operate restaurants. Um, and I actually think we're going to see some attrition. Um, in the growth of the industry, which I don't necessarily think is bad. I mean, I think any boom has its bubble. Um, but uh, Gabe was talking about how, you know, you can be a server at a restaurant and then with 50 restaurants opening up, now you're all of a sudden, you know, the AGM or the wine director or mm-hmm. something like that. And, you know, it's I don't think that era is going to last very much longer with the climate that we're trying to do business in.
2: Yeah, well, I think a lot of changes are coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, 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 uh, I know I'm going to keep talking about this on the show because it's just not going away. It's just, it's just, it's developing. Yeah. yeah. I
3: think the important thing about this conversation, whether you're in the industry or not, is to really try to recognize, first of all, that we don't necessarily, especially if you're not in the business or even if you are in the business, there are things that we just don't know and don't understand. There's, again, the layers of, Regulation. I think there's a big misconception in the public about how much money operators make and how much restaurants make. And there, you know, I've heard people say, "Oh, the restaurants are raising their prices, and they're going to make all this money." And it, it, the malice is superimposed onto the onto the solution of no tipping. And uh, there's, it's just uh, our job to to go out there and educate people and explain to them why we're doing what we're doing. It's very practical. It's not about Um, It's very practical and we're trying to take care of our people at the same time. So Mm -hmm. um, it's it's we're doing this because it's a good thing or we're trying to do a good thing um, in the face of some challenging operating conditions, especially in New York City.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, stay tuned for more. (laughs) (laughs) The other news this week and uh, I'm sure... People, well, everyone in New York City knows about this, but so USA Today wrote how NYC grinds to a halt amid deadly East Coast blizzard. Uh, New York Magazine's Grub Street also had an article on here's how much business Blizzard Jonas took away from restaurants, and uh, yeah, so we were here, we got about... I don't know, twenty-seven inches of snow, and and it was, and, a, lot. <laughs> and, uh, it was <laughs> a lot. And at two thirty, the the mayor said, you know, he wanted everyone off the roads, and so it was interesting. I was watching Twitter and seeing the the chefs and restaurant tours who I follow of who was saying um, they're going to be open tonight and they're going to be closed, and most places it seemed decided to close because. How are people going to get there? How's the staff going to get home? Um, so, um, yeah, but it, if, it obviously a Saturday night of restaurants losing, you know, losing that night uh, affects affects them.
3: <clears throat> it's a it's a very big deal. I mean, these kinds of challenges. They first of all, for New York City, which is I'm from here, so I'm a little bit biased, but um, I will agree. Actually, I think Gabe in that article um, talked about, or in some or some article talked about this being the greatest city in in America. I would. Um, I would vouch I, for that. Yeah, I think it's, I think <laughs> we're number one. Um, you know, for us to have to shut down is like unfathomable. Un- <laughs> like for us to stop moving is really hard um, to do, and uh, and it's a it's a big big deal. But for the restaurant business to lose a weekend night, you know, is huge. And really, for a lot of businesses, I would imagine this was a big hit. A really big hit, because it's not like you can recover Monday, Tuesday. Um, It's like once the losses are lost, they're lost. That's it.
2: Yeah. No, it does. And uh, there was a part of this article was talking about Resi did a little, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I guess they tweeted about the results that they saw on the Jonas effect. And they said 88% total seats booked same day last week, or was down 88% from Saturday night. And that shouldn't be a surprise that all those, you know, reservations were canceled or um yeah no it it does affect them and I, I mean it was i don't know it was like andrew carmelini's restaurant stayed open, and i saw people were out and about and did go out to dinner but it was it I was a blizzard a, yeah
3: yeah no it was it was it was uh, an interesting couple of days for sure i mean and it affected I, I live out in the burbs now and um it affected travel even to monday i couldn't get into the city because switches really. and things were frozen and Whatnot, which was sort of surprising. I'm surprised we don't have more sophisticated uh, techniques of removing snow from train lines. We've had them for a few hundred years now, but that's besides the point. Um, but, you know, we're New Yorkers. We bounced back really quickly. I think it was a little bit more challenging than some of the other cities that were affected. I, um, Boston and Philadelphia and DC got a ton of snow. And, you know, DC in particular, I, I used to live in Baltimore and um, that Washington Baltimore corridor. You know, three flakes of snow, and the trucks are out, and every you know school is closed, um, and uh, they don't they don't really deal with snow quite as well as I think we do, and emergency response quite as right. well as we do.
2: But yeah. we're I, resilient. We are, and I live in Manhattan in a doorman building, and I work from home, so I always think, think I'm the least affected person mm-hmm. by all of this. But I did make my way out to Brooklyn on Sunday to go to this Koshan Five 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 event, mm-hmm. and it was. It was nice to be out and, you know, in all that snow. And I think the snow overall made people very happy here. But um, I don't know, for as a, a little thing for anyone listening, like, go out now, support your restaurants. Uh, yeah. You know, because they, they, they need it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, it, it, you know, the neighborhood places in particular mm-hmm. that may not have been able to bring in their staff, go have a drink. <laughs> go yeah. have some tea. Have a snack.
2: Yeah, and tip well. And, and tip well.
3: If if, <laughs> if tipping, there's tipping. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, and on that note, we're gonna take one more break and come back and I would do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
1: Song by the way is by a band called Zuli. The song before this was Rectech. The one before that was Taxstar. You are listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I
0: never thought I'd see the day that you might make me change my mind. I'm seeing you for the first time. I've never felt any... welcome
2: back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at Low Life. Here's the rundown Location 178 Stanton Street on New York City's Lower East Side. The concept A casual fine dining restaurant with a thoughtful approach to seasonality and ingredient driven cuisine. The chef and owner Chef Alex Leonard, formerly of Blanca, and Hugh Crickmore, formerly of Moss Farmhouse. Why did I go? because I was curious about this new spot that has received some nice press already. My experience. I went for an early dinner at the chef's counter. The space was really nice, I was impressed. There was nothing low life about it. Service was very warm and attentive. What did I get? Well, I wasn't that hungry, so I went with two small plates. I had their signature borscht with trout roe and raw cream, and the lamb tartar with mint and shrimp salt, Plus, they had their house bread and butter. My take. Their house made bread and butter is amazing. And the borscht I really liked. It was very tasty, but it was gone in three bites. And my server did warn me that it was very small, but I do still wish it was a little bigger. The lamb tartar was also excellent. Um, it had paper-thin crostini with it. So I would re- recommend both dishes. The scene, I'd say it was mostly couples. Perfect for date night or I say solo diners at the chef's counter. Interesting tidbit. Chef Leonard is making his own vinegars, pickles, kimchi, butter, and cheese, and he gets much of the restaurant's produce from a Catskills farm owned by Crickmore's brother. My personal fun fact is lately it seems on these solo outings that I'm on a tartar kick because I was out solo at the Four Horsemen in Williamsburg, and I had their beef tartar, which was also great. The cost was thirty dollars, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would go solo, or I'd go on date night. Website is lowlifeNYC.com. That's that's my solo dining. Have you have you been there, Dana? I have
3: not, but that lamb tartare sounds delicious. I'm a huge fan of tartare.
2: Yeah, it was it was it was really good. I feel I keep seeing tatars on menus. It's become like octopus. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> on every you menu you see it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So it's time for the final question. Next week, I'm having on Polly G of Polly G's Pizzeria, one of my favorite pizzerias out in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. So, Dana, I want to see if you could ask Polly a question.
3: Yeah. Um, So they have uh, locations outside of New York, and uh, uh, there's a a myth or legend about water affecting bagel uh, Mm -hmm. flavor, and that's why you can't get a good bagel outside of New York. And I'm wondering if... That's true of pizza dough as well. Does the water in the various places where they've opened um, affect the quality or the you know recipes of their pizza?
2: That's an excellent question. Really, I I, I want to know because it's true. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. People yeah. do
2: always talk about the water. Yeah, and the bagels. It's, it makes
3: a huge mm-hmm. every, especially with baking, which essentially is what pizza is. You know, it's chemistry, and so every change that you make um, affects. Uh, you know the result and water is sort of a big ingredient in, in <laughs> making pizza so I'm i curious. will
2: find out from mr Polly g excited to have him on so that is the show thank you so much
3: thank you very much for having me it was a pleasure
2: oh it was great to hear more about what you're doing i wish you the best thank you anyone who would like to uh check out restaurant reason the website is myrestaurantreason.com I've been talking to Dana Coteen he's the managing partner and you can follow him at Mr. Danik and at restreason you can find me on social media I'm at Sherry Bayer I'm at Bayer PR at All Industry I'm on Facebook at All in the Industry I now have two websites BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com so please check them out Also, check us out at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our shows there. You can download them. And if you go to iTunes, where the shows are also located, you can leave reviews. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Many thanks to Liz and Jack, my engineers today. And, again, thanks to Dana. I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.